0: Hi, welcome to my podcast, On the Grow. I'm Grace Lee. In the last episode, you heard me cover the topic of anxiety and depression. In the episode called How Can I Better Understand Anxiety, Rena Min shared her experiences of how she had been coping during the pandemic, her experiences with anxiety and depression in a relationship, routines and steps that helped her get through it, and bringing awareness to help others understand how to approach someone who has anxiety and or depression. If you haven't heard it already, you should definitely check it out. In this episode, I have a conversation with Audrey Stimson, a friend I met in New York City a few years ago, who shares her battle overcoming an Adderall addiction of 23 years, her experiences of seeking professional help and guidance, and a discussion on addiction and what that mentality entails. Hi, Audrey.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Good. Thank you for joining me for today's episode.
1: I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so we're going to continue on my mental health series. And today, we'll, we're talking about your experiences. I'm very intrigued in your story and how you were able to overcome an Adderall addiction of 23 years and the steps it took for you to, one, be able to open up and be vulnerable and share your story with others to help them get through an addiction that they might be currently going through. I'd love to hear about your background a little bit just before we go into more in-depth of your journey into Adderall addiction.
1: So I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, the home of the blues. Um, I came from a really, really great family, one you wouldn't really like assume for someone that later deals with addiction, um, I did come from a family of divorce, but my my parents always got along and made it really really easy for me transition wise. I went to the University of Memphis for undergraduate school, uh, photography, and I later fell in love with fashion photography and this idea of perfection, I guess you could say. And I applied for a master's program at, at the School of Visual Arts in New York. And I got my master's there and I lived for, in New York for about eight years. And I really think that's where it escalated the the addiction to the point of no return. <laughs> I'm now back in um, Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm expecting my first child with my now husband. Um, and I came out on the other side of addiction, but there was a long road to get to where I am now.
0: (laughs) I'm just curious. So you moved to New York to pursue a master's in fashion photography, right? Was that the initial reason you moved?
1: Yes. I got into this program and I moved to, with two suitcases to New York.
0: (laughs) Okay, so um, you said this is where it started to escalate. So, did the Adderall addiction intervene with your plans to pursue fashion photography?
1: Well, I really needed it to, to basically function. To be honest, I used it to slay. I used Adderall to get everything done. Like I was waiting tables um, four days a week while I was in grad school. I had five days a week in, you know, in class. I was, you know, waiting tables in Hell's Kitchen. And then having to go across town, 23rd Street, every day Mm -hmm. for class. Um, And then I had to find time to shoot and find time to do other things. And, you know, around, I knew no one. Yeah. And so being able to do all of that, I really started to abuse my Adderall. I mean, I'd been on Adderall since the age of seven, which I'm the longest case study.
0: Wait, so wait, that was your first interaction with Adderall. Oh, so this was prior to... You moving to New York, you had taken it as a prescription, I'm guessing?
1: Yes. So I was prescribed Adderall at a, a seven years old, the same year that it came on the market. Wow. So I'm one of the longest case studies. And a lot of times they don't know what happens to the body over time, or if this drug is addictive, or any of these things. I mean, the parents are like, okay, your kid's hyperactive, they can't focus. Your parents, you know, coming from a loving home, coming from a loving background, they're like, okay, we want to help our child. I mean, I had smart parents, my dad's a Mm -hmm. lawyer, my mom's, you know, got her master's in nursing. Like they're not stupid people Mm -hmm. and they listened to their doctors and the doctor said three different doctors told them to put their seven-year-old child on Adderall, which just, just, I want everyone else to know that they're prescribing Adderall as young as four years old.
0: That's allowed. 3.5
1: 3.5 million children are currently prescribed Adderall. And so at that time when I was, this was 23 years ago, or maybe more okay. now. Um, and so there was no Google. Like parents couldn't be like, Adderall, what does this do to my child? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and so now if you Google Adderall, the first things that come up are Adderall addiction, Adderall rehab. There's nothing that comes up about it being positive if you first Google it. Okay. So it's a very addictive drug. But in New York, I was kind of like, you know, going back to the the background a little bit. It's hard to start there because you don't really know <laughs> what we're going to transition into with this conversation. But right. I um I definitely feel like when I got to New York, I started really abusing it and I kept going to, you know, more doctors, like I need more, I need more because I just couldn't function at this level. And that's because, you know, speaking about mental health, the world it requires so much of us. I mean, hell, we all have Zoom fatigue. <laughs> mm-hmm. We we are required to work 24 hours a day. We don't work a nine to five. We get emails at like six seven eight nine ten 10 o'clock. And because we're always on our phone, we're always scrolling, we're just like, okay, I need to check this email. And so I was constantly working, constantly trying to make my dreams come true, but little mm-hmm. did I know that I was killing myself. Um, and my mental health slowly began to deteriorate. Um, Adderall causes extreme atorexia, which is body dysmorphia. It causes mm. depression, anxiety, Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I go doctor shopping, as you'd say, 15 minutes, you're in and out. They prescribe you whatever you want. They don't care. Here, oh, you're having anxiety? Let me put you on a benzo that's really, really addictive. And let's put you on Prozac because you're having depression issues. Not not like, what are you eating? Or maybe this Mm -hmm. Adderall is causing you issues. And I'm not like anti-drugs at all. Yeah, Anti-Adderall, I just want to be clear because there are some drugs that help a lot of people and there's a lot of different things. With ADHD, what I have, Mm -hmm. I actually have um, issues with my dopamine synapses. And so it is important for me to have certain routine, food code, reward um, kind of behaviors and things so that I can function without meds. Some people abuse it without having ADHD. Okay. But some people actually do have ADHD and I want people listening to know that I see you and I, I promise that you can do it without Adderall because I felt like I never could. I was the hardest thing I've ever gone through.
0: Just going back to what you said earlier, was the adorexia and the body dysmorphia a result of the Adderall addiction or was it there prior to it?
1: So didn't form because of Adderall. It was enhanced because of Adderall. So Adderall causes you to hyperfocus, which is why they prescribe it, right? Mm-hmm. It is a amphetamine and it affects your neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. Right. So taking this drug affects all of that in your whole brain chemistry. That stems from trauma, Okay. childhood, So that's a lot of um, what I've been writing about in my book that I've, I'll let everyone know that I'm writing a book about Adderall addiction and ADHD and how to survive um, without this drug that's mm-hmm. super controlling, but it, it causes you to hyper-focus on everything around you. And to the point where I was obsessed with every single thing about myself to the point where I like, I'd look in the mirror and I'd see every single change in my face, every single change in my body But this does stem from something deeper. And and a lot of times, especially in the world we live in, parents are now experiencing a lot of stress. And there's a lot of things in the environment. ADD and ADHD is being diagnosed way more than it ever has been. And that is because of the attachment attunement relationship that forms with the mother in Mm -hmm. early childhood, um, as well as in utero. So the cortisol levels that the mother has, and the lack of, um, when the mother's stressed, the, the baby can sense that. Right. And I write about it in detail in my book. And, and I have a lot of resources from other doctors as well as my therapist, Herb Cohen, mm-hmm. about this um, and how this occurs and how this happens. But my mom is experiencing extreme stress. Um, some really, really crazy things happening to our family that like, I won't go into detail about because of, you know, privacy issues, but yeah. to the point where it really affected our bonding and our attachment yeah. attunement. And I felt that stress. And so not only that, but the divorce, when my parents got divorced at one year old, how bad is the trauma? Okay. Some, some trauma is, ex, you know, extreme and some is as simple as I don't feel attended to.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and, or I don't feel loved or I don't feel good enough. I think it's really important to note that that can happen. Mm -hmm. And over time, body dysmorphia and other control issues develop because we don't feel good enough. We don't feel like we are whole enough. And so it manifests in other ways. Um, and we, you know, as a child, you have no control on, okay, I'm going here and then I'm going there and I have no, no sense of control, no sense of balance. So when I travel, I get really anxious. When I feel out of control, I get really anxious. And so a way to control things around me, control, and I put that in quotes, Mm -hmm. is to control what I eat, control what goes in my body. And Adderall Mm -hmm. gave me a way to control that even more.
0: I'm like smiling here because I know exactly what you mean by wanting control. I suffered from an eating disorder ever since high school. Um, It was actually, it was about eight years of a battle and I kept it a secret ever since high school up until I moved to New York and that's when I actually opened up about it. When you say control, I think whenever I felt like I was losing control of the things around me and you know what I could do or couldn't do, I would turn to eating. I would control what went into my mouth. I can control how I looked. Um, Like no one had a say on on that because I could turn myself into anything I wanted. Uh, So I know exactly what you mean by control. You know, I really did go through like it wasn't diagnosed anorexia but it was it was really brutal um to the point where i i would pass out a lot and i just like wasn't taking care of myself i think for me what stems from it is the need to be perfect and the need for control it's both of them together because i am a, i am a perfectionist um i like to have everything you know lined up i, I need to know what's happening what's next. And even with like living in a year of uncertainty, that's been the hardest thing for me. So I would drift back to eating because it's like, I can't control what's happening this year, but I can control this. It's not an addiction. I think it's more like, I know, like I've gotten so much better from it. I think in the, in the past it was an addiction because I couldn't stop, but now I know I need to take care of myself like mentally and physically. But I think the idea that, like I need to keep remembering that it's not gonna go away. um it's not a like it doesn't mean I'm relapsing, quote relapsing. it just means you know like this is an ongoing battle, like you said, um and I think that's what comes to mind when I think of an addiction is something that I just couldn't stop um doing, even knowing that it's wrong,
1: yeah, it is a way to feel. Like you have it all together when everything else is crumbling. Exactly. And I also came from, you know, because of that, like back and forth and never really having like a, and it wasn't by any thing that my parents did. This was something that happened to them. There was some a lot of stress on them in, in their life and they they had to separate at that time. They did as much as they possibly could to make sure that I felt loved, that I felt supported. But as a child, you sense um, those anxieties in the parent. Um, mm-hmm. And you also experience like being taken from home to home and and not having any semblance of stable. You know, yeah. when you grow up with no stable and your, your brain is still developing, so you don't understand that, oh, I know they're doing their best and they love me. But you don't get that. Like, it's just trauma. You don't understand what. And so I think that all trauma is created equally. And I write about that in my book because Mm -hmm. it it really, you know, it could be ADD is also amplified at um, the closer proximity that you get to a war zone. So say like um, the Holocaust survivors, a lot of their children have been diagnosed with ADHD because they experienced a lot of trauma during the time of their conception and the time of what they're going through. So I've worked further, and I I know that you know we can go more into my addiction battle as well. But mm-hmm. I worked further with EMDR therapy to target that underlying feeling of I'm not good enough, I'm not loved, so that now I'm able to even like targeted certain images and memories that were like of a suitcase that I had to take to my after school care every day. Mm-hmm. I remember that blue suitcase. I mean, it was fixated in my mind because it, it was like this semblance of nothing being the same. that I had to take it to my dad's. He was going to pick me up after school. And I didn't realize that that stuff, that stuff from like one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, stuff that was even subconscious that I've never even thought about had affected me at such a level that it really influenced my entire life and mm-hmm. led to addiction.
0: So what kind of mentality comes from... The people who are prescribed Adderall. I mean, just hearing your story right now, and you saying that you had no choice, and and why you couldn't do certain things. Just walk me through it. I'm I'm really curious.
1: Well, I didn't get a choice. So a lot of people. I've I've done quite a few videos on TikTok recently, and they've gone viral. Actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, up to eighty thousand people. Like seeing these videos, commenting, hundreds of people DMing me. I need help. I don't know how to get off this drug. And a lot of these people, some of them, you know, were, were diagnosed ADHD later in life or they felt ADHD They they never could focus and they probably are like my parents were very hyper focused on taking care of me as a child. And you know, if the teacher said that I needed help, like they took me to a therapist, but not every parent does that. Mm -hmm. So there are possibilities that, you know, people have gone their whole lives, not knowing why they couldn't do things a certain way or why they struggle with anxiety and around like, and couldn't focus like other people. And there's a lot of that. Um, But also a lot of people start in college because they are required to do these crazy exams and these Mm -hmm. crazy, you know, seven classes at a time and also trying to work and, you know, staying up all night. And, you know, one friend will say to the other, like, oh, have you tried um, an Adderall? Like, you you feel like you can't get it all done? Just try one of these. Right. Right. And all of a sudden they're like, I need this. This is what I've been missing my whole life. I can focus. Like I've never been able to focus. I can get things done. But little do they know that it's just like most drugs. The first time you do it is always the best time you do it. Mm-hmm. And so over time, like Adderall didn't even really like work with me at all. And you need more and you need more and you need more. And I finally kind of capped myself out because I just knew it wasn't healthy anymore. hmm up to 40 milligrams of time-release Adderall a day. Wow. Some people that are really having the, the strong addiction, in quotes, um, get prescribed up to 80, you know, milli- some people are used, abusing it like 80 milligrams a day. Some people are abusing it in ways that they don't even realize it's abusing it because just their need for it. Yeah. Every time I woke up in the morning, I thought about my Adderall. Every time I went out for the night, I thought, okay, do I have some of my, in my purse? Do I have... Enough? Do I need to get my prescription filled before I go out of town? These are all things that I thought about before I did anything else.
0: Yeah, you can't go anywhere without it. You can't stop thinking about it.
1: Right. Because I can't without it. Like I'm not able to do anything without it. And so it became this crutch and I really truly believed that I would never ever be able to do anything without this drug.
0: Wow. So we got to that point. Let's talk a little bit about addiction. In general, um, just hearing you use that word and and how it's like made you turn to something and use Adderall as a crutch. You know, we find ourselves addicted to our phones, our devices, like what people say, opinions in general. I think addiction comes in different forms, just even with our society, like we're always constantly tuned in. We're always on. We're We're literally addicted to things without realizing it. It might not be in a drug form, but it could be in different forms. But I guess my question to you is, what does addiction mean to you?
1: Addiction means something a lot deeper. Addiction is something that our body is trying to help us. It's an adaptive response, according to my therapist, Herb Cohen. Okay. It's actually, you know, over time, we've grown to live longer. And addiction originally was to keep us from feeling pain. We become addicted to something because we don't want to feel pain. We don't want to deal with the underlying issues. And so it's actually a protection mechanism. You know, at first when we only lived to be like 20 years, you know, 30 years old, it was a protection mechanism in our brain. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so now we end up struggling with this addiction for years and years and years. And it becomes a detriment because originally it was like, you know, if I do this, then I won't kill myself. Like if I do this, then it is a protection. It's protecting myself from feeling this pain, from going somewhere where I can't. So if I drink, then maybe I won't like be in such depths of despair that I need to, you know, contemplate suicide. So think of it in in that way. Addiction is not a bad word. Mm -hmm. Addiction is a is what we are trying to do to help ourselves. And this is a lot what my therapist taught me because I didn't understand that. I I felt so much shame around my addiction. Mm -hmm. And I don't want other people to feel that because it's not their fault. And it's all attributed to this, I'm not good enough. It all stems back to trauma. Everything stems back to trauma. And so if you know that, maybe it's not as hard to say I'm an addict. Because, I mean, I've been out there about it. I've been like, I'm an addict. I've struggled with addiction. And, you know, a lot of people don't like to hear that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, I'm not addicted to that. And I used to say that. I used to say, I'm not addicted to Adderall. I'm prescribed. I need this. I need this to function. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of people saying that same thing to me. And I said, spoken like a true addict. (laughs) Um, Because that's what we all say. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know... When you are prescribed, you don't feel like you are an addict, and it, it kind of takes a little less of the shame away. You know, you're not, like, doing meth every day. Yeah. You're not doing – although it's one thing away from meth, but we'll go into the technical cool. Things later, um, I think that it's just that, like, okay, well, it's not cocaine, so yeah, it's it should be okay. Well, I'm going to tell you, and I will say it to all of your listeners, mm-hmm. that – I've done cocaine and Adderall. Adderall wins every single time. Oh my gosh! <laughs> just horrible, but it's a prescribed drug and it works a lot better than that other drug you can get on the street. Well, wow. I'm clean now, guys. Don't <laughs> worry. I haven't. I'm pregnant, and I I don't even drink anymore. So <laughs> but New York was a wild ride. Let's just say.
0: <laughs> wow. When was that moment where it was like you hit an all-time low? When was the first time you realized you needed help?
1: I kind of always knew that I was going to eventually have to quit because I couldn't have children without it. Mm. Uh, I just never knew how I was going to do that because you can't be on Adderall while you're pregnant. Uh, I just didn't know how I was going to ever overcome that. But the final straw was I really had been dating – a lot of New York and trying to find love. And I was, you know, about to turn 30 and I was living with Christina at the time, you know, her Mm -hmm. and we were running this business and I was in Melrose and I was working constantly working as hard as I possibly could working 24 seven, you know, I trying to find time to work out, trying to find time to do self care. I'd been meditating more. And then I realized that I had a breakdown one day and I said, I'm never, ever going to have a successful relationship if I do not get rid of my addiction. And I just started crying on the floor. And I sent Christina text saying that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> saying I, if I don't stop, like I'm never going to get married, never have kids, never, ever enjoy anything in life because I have such a problem. And I didn't really realize that that was the thing that was causing all of my other problems mm. until then. I didn't realize I didn't put it all together and I realized then that Adderall is causing the depression Adderall is causing the anxiety I mean not causing the anxiety because I do believe that anxiety ADHD and anxiety are in line but it escalated I mean it made everything worse like so my anxiety was so high my depression was so high that I had to be here's another pill here's another pill and then all of a sudden I was sick all the time my body started shutting down uh, I couldn't process certain foods because of the serotonin and dopamine after 23 years mm-hmm. my body just didn't want to work anymore. I looked sick. I I just couldn't function at that that level anymore. I couldn't do it anymore and I just didn't know what to do. So that was I think my breaking point. Mm-hmm. But before that, i have always known I'd been abusing it. Yeah. Down. So
2: you knew
0: it, but you just didn't know how to stop.
1: I mean, I didn't think that it was possible because I was told by the doctors that I needed this to, to function. Right,
0: right. So from the very beginning, because it was prescribed to you medically.
1: And they told me that you need this to function since I was seven. So mm-hmm. I literally went through puberty on this drug. I had no idea who I was until I... Until now, I've been learning who I am for the first time at 32 years old. It's been a year and a half, and I'm still learning, okay, wow, like, I do have, like, focus issues. Mm-hmm. I do have certain things, but I'm able to manage them with the food code, using EMDR therapy, routine, certain reward things that I do for myself to, like, help with the dopamine snapses. And, you know, there's a way to thrive without this drug. But I just... I just never knew it was possible because I was told I needed it. I was told that I had to have this to be a good student, to be a good child, to mm-hmm. be a good person. Right. So I believed that.
0: Right. Of course. What's the next step you took for that addiction?
1: So I started titrating down. Um, but that's not what I recommend in my book. Um, I started titrating down and it was miserable because each time it was like ripping off another Band-Aid and I couldn't get out of bed and I I didn't know how I was going to ever function until I finally Googled cognitive therapies. I knew I needed something more metaphysical. I needed to get to the root cause. Like, I know my problem. I have an addiction. How do I turn it off? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get to the addiction and just switch that off to where I don't want it anymore? Because I know top therapy is not going to work. And that's because um, a lot of different things, but the amygdala in our brain, actually, um, it protects the implicit memory. And unless you get the amygdala out of the way, you aren't able to change the memory.
2: Mm -hmm. And the
1: only way to do that is to use trauma therapy, like hypnotherapy or EMDR therapy. So I found Herb Cohen in Huntington, New York. And I was like, I just need to get off of this drug. Like, I don't know what to do. He's like, I can get you off of Adderall in one day. And I'm like, you're crazy. Like, what do you mean you can get me off of Adderall in one day? Yeah. So I went to his office in this quaint, like, very um, – forward thinking town in Huntington, New York on the water. It was beautiful. It's actually one of the vortices of the US mm. uh, healing vortices. And then I got to his office. It was very calming. There were these amazing paintings all around that he channeled. He'd have crystals everywhere. And I was like, okay. I mean, I'm very into this stuff too, but like, I was like, there's no way this is going to work for my Adderall addiction. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know about this. And so, you know, after going through the basic first meeting and walking through the steps, which I go into like extreme detail in my EMDR chapter in my book. Mm -hmm. But um, the next session we did EMDR therapy, which is um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, but it basically uses any form of bilateral stimulation to get the amygdala out of the way and get to the target memories or the implicit memories in the brain and be able to change them. And so he asked me to get into the feeling of high, like what is high? Mm. And then he, he gave me these tappers that I you know, held in the palms of my hands. And he said, once you're in the feeling of high on this drug on Adderall, let me know. And I said, okay. So I started thinking, okay, what are all the times that I felt high? And all of a sudden it flashes to, me on the treadmill, like doing lots of work on my phone, which I didn't know at the time, but, you know, working out increases your dopamine regulation. And also not only that, but Adderall affects your dopamine regulation. So the two together are a recipe for even a more addictive behavior. Mm. Working out plus Adderall, and you know, it was like that's when it was at the most like high okay. for me. And so I, he got me into that feeling of high. I told him he turns on the sensors, which are bilateral stimulation in the palms of my hands,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. basically relaxes the amygdala, which I know not everybody knows what that is. And I'll go and I go into detail about that. I'm going to do a blog post about it soon. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, also not to intervene. Um, Yeah. So you also started a blog recently to help others living with an addiction.
1: Yes. With Adderall addiction and basically dealing with ADHD and thriving without Adderall. Yeah. Uh, there's a toolkit, there's a blog, there's links to my podcasts uh, that I've done. And I put this out because I was just getting so many requests and I, I know that my book's not going to be out for a while and I didn't really know how to help people immediately, you know? I needed to be able to offer something immediately.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So back to the EMDR, I'm now in this feeling of being high. hmm while holding these sensors. And once the sensors turned on, all of a sudden, these memories began to flood in. Every single time that I was using Adderall, every single time I was slaying on a photo shoot, every single time that I was just, you know, doing other drugs, drinking, anything that I was doing because of Adderall just popped into my mind over like, 23 years of use. Wow. And once the memory stopped, he told me to tell him. So I did. And he turned off the sensors and he was like, I'm done. You're done? I don't know. I mean, he also does other things like where he changes. We worked further with EMDR therapy after this one session. But he did say like, I can get you off of Adderall in one session. And then this session, I was like, okay, we're done. I, I, I just go home. So I went home, I did, you know, went about my basic tasks that evening, you I know, went to bed. I was like, there's no way that worked. The next day, I woke up and I didn't want to reach one of my pills. Why? Because the addiction was gone. I didn't need them anymore.
0: Is it because you got down to the root of the cause?
1: I got rid of all of the implicit memories.
0: The memories?
1: I, I changed them. So the memories it became associated with feeling good. Oh. So I then associated every time that I take Adderall, I don't feel pain. And because I put those two together, those memories were in the back of my head. So I thought the only way to survive, the only way to not feel pain was to take Adderall every day. So we changed that memory. Mm. Because those memories were changed and desensitized to thinking that that is what makes me feel good. I no longer needed that drug.
0: Right. So it really is a, it's a mindset thing. It's once you can change your mindset on something.
1: But you can't do that without trauma therapy. Like you can't, like you can honestly, you can talk things out, but you can't change the memory without being able to relax the amygdala enough so that it's not in fight or flight and sending cortisol through your body mm-hmm. not being able to regulate that so once that's relaxed enough you're able to target the implicit memory in the limbic brain got it i don't weigh into more like yeah detail absolutely it's very confusing it's still confusing for me mm-hmm. even though Herb cohen has walked me through it but it's just so fascinating because it's like you know you have a problem
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i feel like so many people like with aa and a lot of addiction out there, they don't know that they can actually get rid of their need for it. There are certain drugs it doesn't work with because those drugs um, interfere with the amygdala or how that works. I'm not exactly sure the details of it, Yeah, but it does work with meth. It works with cocaine. It works with Adderall. It works with alcohol. You can actually walk past a bar and not want to drink. Yeah it actually got rid of my desire for Adderall because I do believe I'd become addicted to alcohol as well because I needed something to come down in the evenings because Adderall made me so like this and jittery mm-hmm. that I needed wine every evening to be able to come down. And then I didn't even mean to get rid of that memory or desensitize that memory, but I didn't need it anymore. Okay. And it was just so fascinating.
0: Yeah, we have many different viewpoints on what quote recovery is. I think that many people assume recovery means you never go through it again. Like you're done, the mindset's gone, but in reality, recovery doesn't mean you'll never feel what you felt during the addiction. It means you know, you're you're accepting of what the addiction was, how it made you feel, how it still makes you feel and how you're moving forward with it. So, yeah. So tell me about what the steps were for you to get there.
1: I think that you're never fully, you're never ever going to get rid of all your trauma. Right. I mean, um, but you can work further. I did work further with EMDR therapy to target more trauma in order to not become addicted to something else. You need to work on the root cause, which is the trauma. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that trauma stems from I'm not good enough. And, and then you, you turn to addiction because you don't want to feel pain. Right. So I think that it's super important for you to for everyone to know that it's a process. I mean, I wake up every day and I meditate. I wake up every day and I, I work out. I move my body. I do something to increase my dopamine naturally. I fuel my, my body with certain foods that I speak about on my blog and my toolkit. Um, there's a guide on there that really make me feel good and, and fuel the mind gut connection. And so that I don't experience depression or anxiety to the level that I did before. I don't think that it's ever a, oh my God, I'm done. I'm, I know. I think that I still need more therapy mm-hmm. at some point. I think that I could still do neurofeedback to work on my ADHD and retrain my brain, which I just learned about recently. I just, I want to try, um, acupuncture. I want to try a lot of other things that I haven't tried yet, but I think the first step is knowing that you have a problem and being like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to be the best person that I can be in this moment. And so whatever that is for what, whoever, you know, everybody's trauma is different. Everyone's level of experience is different. Some people came from a bad home life. It wasn't, the same as mine. Maybe they needed medication because there was no way out of that environment. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, everybody's story is different. And I think that I want everyone to feel like they're not alone and that their addiction isn't a bad word. That admitting it takes its power away. I like that. It does. It really does. It's just like, yes, I have a problem and that's okay. And it's not my fault. It's not my fault that my body just wants to avoid pain and my mind wants to avoid pain. But how can I address that? How can I fix that? How can I live a healthier life? How can I be a better version of myself? And I think that it, it's just an ongoing process.
0: Yeah. So I guess we're going to wrap up soon, but what advice, I think you already covered a couple points already. But I guess your final, your advice for someone who is currently living in Adderall addiction, um, what would you say to them?
1: You're not alone. I've been where you are and you, you don't need it to survive like you think you do. Mm. I just wish that someone had told me it was possible. I just wish that someone had told me that I wasn't alone. I wish that I could look online and find resources like I'm offering there was nobody to help me. Nobody, no, no big sister to be like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people need to know that like, it's not their fault and that it's going to be okay. And if you need any resources, yes. <laughs> find me at Audrey and I have a toolkit and links to podcasts. And I'm sure that this one will be there as well.
0: How do you feel now when the thoughts creep back from your old habits and ways?
1: I still struggle Yeah. with that, but now I'm able to separate myself. When I see something change in my body because of the MDR therapy, I'm able to be like, well, that's kind of annoying, but I'm cool with it. And I don't fixate on it for two hours, mm. which I used right. to do. I would tear myself apart. I would just tell myself how horrible I was. And now, when I see the changes, I'm able to be like, okay, I'm desensitized from those little like changes. And that's how I'm able to go through pregnancy, which I never thought I would be able to do.
0: Right. And I'm sure you're going through a lot of more changes in your body, too. And, you know, on and of
1: accepting with that. And I never thought that I'd be able to love my body through pregnancy, but I have found this amazing joy from it using EMDR therapy as a tool to help me get to a better place, but not Mm -hmm. to assume that it is over, that I'll never ever struggle again because absolutely. Yeah. So I guess I wanted to like clarify that, that like, it's not just like a, Oh, everything's all fine and dandy and life is great all the time. It's that I work daily to um, be the best version of myself in that given moment. And I think that other people, and find happiness
0: that way too. I agree. I actually have a wide range of people who tune into my podcast, ranging from high school to even college and post grad, just basically saying how, you know, like they really just don't feel like they're good enough. And I know that's been a recurring theme in our episode today, just feeling like you are not enough. So you turn to other things. Like you said, addiction is because of pain. What goes through my mind is how can we help other people in ways that where they don't feel like they're not enough? And I know it's, it's not like a self thing. It's like, it's a group thing and more people need to be more aware of that. I think awareness is huge.
1: I think being open and honest and sharing your story and saying, exactly. I'm not perfect. Um, instead of perpetuating the illusion that everyone's got it together all the time, which is very much social media. Yeah. I think that that's the way that we can help change and help other people. You're doing that, so it's great.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. Yes. And where can people find you?
1: Um, Audrey Stimson on Instagram. It's (laughs) A-U-D-R-E-Y-S-T-I-M-P-S-O-N. And then AudreyStimson.com.
0: Yes, and I will link all of that in the description below so people can click it and they can find you. Be sure to follow along and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Stay tuned and keep listening to the next bonus episode where I will do a year in review, a recap of this year's podcast series, and what to look forward to in the new year. Thanks for tuning in!